0: Isaiah chapter 52 is where we are today, and uh, we're in this series called Awaken Sleeper. And Isaiah 52 is how we introed the the series of talks, and uh, I wanna come back to it today and spend a little more time in it. Isaiah 52, verse one, are you there? You can Google it, you can look it up. I see some of y'all finding it on your phones. I'll give you a second to get there. Uh, If you're not doing that, you can follow along on the screen. Isaiah 52, one. Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Awake, awake. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that your word would pierce these words for the church, these words for the people of God. Thank you, God, that your purpose was being written for us today millennia ago. God, I thank you that as the prophet's words were being committed to paper, that they were definitely for the people who would read them at that time and season, but God, you knew that they were being written for the church that is Keystone Church in this day, in this era, and that those words would course forward through time and eternity and last forever so god what are you saying to us awake what do you mean god awake what does it look for us to be awake what does it look like for us to put on our strength to wear those beautiful clothes to shake off the dust and loosen the bonds around our neck god would you show us And may we leave this place free. May we give you our pain. May we give you our questions. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awake, awake. Awaken, sleeper. I've really enjoyed this series of messages. I believe that God has been sitting on it in a powerful, unique way. And uh, I think God's doing something. There was a a group of people that were studying how God moves, 1940, and they were students at Wheaton University in Illinois. These students were so into the movements of God through history, they studied at the feet of one of the professors, his name, J. Edwin Orr. 1940, J. Edwin Orr took these students on a trip to visit a place where one of the movements of God had really originated. And they went to Jonathan Wesley's house. And Jonathan Wesley, if you grew up now at Keystone, we've got people from everywhere. Okay. You grew up this way, you grew up that way. Some of you grew up like this, some of you grew up like this. Some of y'all grew up Neil Stan, Neil Stan smells bells, you know, what everything. Okay? Those of you that laugh, y'all are my people, I got you. We, we're from everywhere. But if you are Methodist right now. Jonathan Wesley is your homeboy, right? And Wesley is an incredible, incredible figure in the church. God used him in a mighty, mighty way. So they went to Wesley's home, and they're walking, and they're seeing all of the things as if he left them there the day he died. You know, they just preserved everything and books and and everything. They went upstairs and went to his bedroom. And something that J. Edwin Orr pointed out, right by the bed, there were these two worn out spaces right by the bed. And he said, do you see this? And all the students kind of crowded over and they looked at the little worn out spaces right by the bed that were just worn perfectly for Wesley to kneel by his bed and wear out the rug by his bed with his prayers for God to move mightily in his generation. That's not a two minute quick prayer. That's not a bless us food God, we gotta eat kind of prayer. He would spend hours crying out for God, would you move mightily in my generation? They were all inspired and they left and they were getting on the bus You know, whenever you go on a trip like that, there's a straggler, right? Like, we're gonna go to Israel, and I just wanna know, who among you are gonna be the stragglers? I'm looking at, some of y'all are like owning it. You're like, I'm gonna be the straggler. You're gonna have to watch me. But there was, he started counting, and there was one straggler. So he's like, ah. So he goes back into Wesley's home. He's looking around. Okay, not remember where the books are. Okay, not in the kitchen, all right? Goes up the steps into the bedroom, and he sees... A student kneeling right there. His knees perfectly placed where they're worn out. And this student, a tall, lanky student, he's crying out to, thinking he's alone. God, do it again. God, would you do it again? God, would you do it again? Private prayer. Jay Winor walked over. God, would you do it again? God, would you do it again? Walked over. He put his hand on the student's shoulder, and he said, Billy, it's time to go. Billy Graham. Some of y'all don't know who Billy Graham is. I want to introduce you to Billy Graham. This is young Billy Graham. This is Wheaton University, Billy Graham. Skinny, lanky. Billy Graham, if you don't know, some of our students may not know that name. Some of us may not know that name. Billy Graham left that room a changed man. And he began to cry out to God, God do it again with his life. His prayers translated to his life. He began to preach, he tried pastoring, he had the gift for revival. In 1957, he preached for 16 weeks at Madison Square Garden and he reached over 2 million people in 1957. 16 weeks straight in Madison Square Garden. Through 60 years, he preached in 185 countries. He was a trusted counselor to 12 sitting presidents. 215 million people heard personally and through his crusades about Jesus, and over two billion people through television technology heard about Jesus through his preaching. Billy Graham, through his ministry, saw 3.2 million people cross the line of faith and say, Jesus, would you save me? Yeah, come on, 3.2 million people. And it all started on his knees saying, God, would you do it again? God, would you do it again? You know, I wonder if there's somebody in this room that would dare today to fall to their knees and say, God, would you do it again? If if he would work in a college student from Wheaton, could he work in a businessman who's looking for purpose? Could it work for a mom who wants more? Could it work for a young adult that's just starting with passion for their future? A young couple, an empty nester? Well, I can tell you, as you look through history, God moves in all kinds of different people in all kinds of different ways. I began to look at all the different movements of revival. Jay Wenor would be very, very proud of my, of my work. <laughs> And I begin to see that God does answer that prayer if the people will pray it. Today, the title of today's message is this, Awaken Sleeper, God, do it again. God, do it again. Would you do it again right here? Isaiah is the prophet. Let me tell you a little bit about Isaiah because it'll help you understand his words and the power that they have. Isaiah wrote during an incredible time of unrest a little story, I've told you this many times before, but if you're new to the Bible, this is really gonna help you. It's really adds some texture to the scriptures that you're reading. That there was a there was a season in Israel's story where they had a kind of a civil war. This was 200 years before Isaiah wrote these words and <clears throat> there was a kind of a division. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was called Israel and the southern kingdom was called Judah. So if you're reading in the prophets and they begin to talk to Judah, they begin to talk to Israel, they're talking to the different north or the south. Isaiah himself had witnessed as the north had turned away from God that the Assyrians, who was the mega power of the day, came and attacked the northern kingdom and mowed them down. Mowed them down, leaving nothing there. Isaiah saw that. Isaiah had witnessed, Isaiah was from the southern kingdom. Isaiah saw that same Assyrian power come and beat on the doors of Jerusalem. He was counselor to King Hezekiah like Billy Graham was a counselor to 12 sitting presidents. And as Isaiah counseled Hezekiah, Hezekiah dropped to his knees and the miracle happened that the Assyrians were turned away by the power of God. Isaiah saw all of that. So was Isaiah living in a day of peace and prosperity? No. Isaiah was living in a crucible of stress. Isaiah was living in a crucible of unrest. Isaiah would look at the world and everybody else and there's just a sense of constant pressure. And so if you feel those emotions, bring those emotions to the text today. If you feel pressure about your finances or your future, bring that to the text today because that's what Isaiah was writing. Isaiah was writing to people that don't have it all together, people that aren't sure about their future. And again, he said this, awake, awake. Put your strength and and put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O O captive daughter of Zion." God did it in Isaiah's day, and God has done it through history in America. You go back, let me just walk you through how God has moved in our country. In 1734 to 1743, there was the Great Awakening, and uh, kind of the figurehead that launched it all is a guy named Jonathan Edwards. Then there was a second Great Awakening in 1800 to 1840. I love this one, in 1857 to 1858, there was a businessman's revival. This is a businessman in New York and he just wanted to reach his friends for Jesus. So he began to pray in the halls of power and they began to come together and it sparked a revival and people began to pray and more people began to pray and more people began to pray and it began the businessman's revival. Maybe there's somebody here today that would say, it's time for the businessman's revival in 2022, 2023. There was the urban revivals with with people like Billy Sunday. And uh, they would go into the cities and they would lead these massive crusades in the cities. Then there was the Welsh revival. This began primarily through people who spoke Welsh. And they began to see a revival from God and then it began to cross all kinds of different bounds and different groups and proving that God reaches everybody. He doesn't have one type of person that he's interested in reaching. He reaches everybody he's ever created. And then you see the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, which launched what we now know as the charismatic movement, Pentecostalism, the Azusa Street Revival, we know the impact of that. Then post-World War II revival, people like Billy Graham with their crusades, we see the impact of that. In the 70s, in the 70s, I know some of you witnessed the Jesus movement. The Jesus movement. I was, I was talking to someone in the middle of a, of a conference up in the Risers, right back there. And, and I'd, I'd seen them and I knew them. They were a family friend. And I said, hey, how are you doing? And I was kind of, you know, not sure that they were up for Keystone. You know, it may have been a while. And, and I just wondered if we were kind of blowing their minds a little bit. And, and, and she said, I love this. This reminds me of the Jesus movement. And so I'm looking at a, a grandmother and I'm thinking, okay, let me try to imagine you as a hippie. <laughs> you know, the Jesus movement was awesome. God began to move among youth and students and hippies. And then in the 1990s, there was a movement among men that God used in a mighty way called Promise Keepers. And we'd never seen anything like it before where God moved specifically among men. And uh, it was undeniable. And you see this, that God moves in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different avenues, with a lot of different kinds of people. And so when you have in your mind, well, that's the type of person that God uses, you need to just scrap the model. You need to scrap the image of your mind of that's the kind of person that God uses, that's the kind of person that God uses. Well, they've gotta look like that or they have to sound like that or they have to have this kind of family in their family background. You need to scrap the model because God uses everybody. God used Isaiah, and God used several different kings in that season, and God wants to use you today. And if we have breath in our lungs, God wants to use this church. Today's the day. Awaken sleeper. Come on, no golf claps. If we're going to go, let's go. Let's go together. So in these troubled times, you know, when you think about, I just want to cast the picture of Jonathan Edwards out in the middle of a field preaching in the 1700s or the Welsh Revival, where they are again, they're coming together and you begin to see the symbols or the Jesus movement and these hippies walking across up and down streets in California and on the beaches and people gathering and just lifting their signs to the Lord. All through history, God has been moving, God does move and it's almost as if he's looking for a people who will wear out the side of their bed and say, God, would you do it again? How does it happen Here. Let's go to Isaiah's words. First, I believe when we see him crying out, awake, 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 awake. When Isaiah said awake, he was talking to a people who were asleep, but they were not dead. They were asleep, but they were not dead. Now in the book of Ephesians, last week we talked about this, there's a passage where the apostle Paul he says awaken sleeper and they would they would sing this song awaken sleeper when people were coming and being baptized and they'd come up out of the water. And man, I'm so excited by the way for the baptisms we're going to have at Christmas. Some of y'all, that's your baptism. You have a date with destiny. And it's this coming from death to life, okay? But here Isaiah is not talking about you're dead and now you're alive. Isaiah is talking about you're asleep and now you're awake. And the reason I know that is he's talking to Israel. He's talking to the people of God. He was not creating a covenant with the people of God in that moment. He was drawing on a covenant with the people of God. Abraham was kind of the spearhead of a new relationship with God. Isaiah was reaching back and saying, you have had a relationship with God in the past. Now today, awake. And that's what he's saying to you and me. You may be asleep, But if you've had an experience with Jesus Christ and you've put your faith in him and you believe Jesus died on the cross and there was a moment in your life where you crossed the line of faith and maybe it was a long time ago, maybe it was at student camp and God got a hold of your life and you're asleep today. I believe God today is saying to you, wake up, wake up. It's not too late. It's not too late. Again, no golf claps. If we're in, we're in. Hey. Listen, you may have stood around a fire and saying kumbaya and friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. That's okay. Only my church people know that. That's okay. And you say, yeah, man, the best time of my life, I was closest to the Lord at student camp. Then I would say to you, wake up. Your greatest moments with the Lord should be right now. Right now. You're 65 years old. You've been a Christian for 50 years. It's not too late. Get a little fire in your eye. Get in one of our empty nester groups and you'll see what living really is. They're a wild group. (laughs) They love Jesus. Listen, wake up. It's not too late. That's not just for the the excited students. And we love their energy, don't we? Look, you may not have their metabolism, but you can have their power. How about that? (laughs) Right? Listen, you may be asleep. There's a song that Elevation Worship has written. And I love how God in different seasons brings different, different groups to bring us music. And Elevation wrote this song that we've sang before. It's called My Testimony. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This is my testimony from death to life. I don't know. I do that with scripture too sometimes. Sometimes I'll get my verses mixed up. But there's a point in the song where I love this part. This is the thing for me. This is why I like that song. And it just, I love singing this part really, really loud. If I'm not dead, you're not done. If I'm not dead, you're not done. If I'm not dead, God, you're not done. If I'm not dead, God has a purpose for your life today. God has a purpose for your life right now. And if you're not dead, he's not done. So what did he say? Put on your strength. Oh, Zion, put on your strength. Put on your strength. I love this. What a powerful truth. Put on your strength. Do you know that there's a lid to your strength? There's a lid to your strength. There's a lid in your life. I love this teaching. That Every one of us have lids in our life. You need to recognize this. You have a lid of the people that you've met, because you haven't met everybody. You have a lid of the relationships that you've developed. You have a lid of the education that you have gathered. You have a lid to the way that you're made. Are you a people person? Are you a numbers person? We have these lids. You have a lid to the family that you were brought up in and the patterns that were imprinted on you as a child. We all have these lids. And it's a fact of life. But the Bible is very quick and clear to tell us that your strength only gets you so far and then you hit a lid. But the power of God is the lid lifter. And so he could take somebody that grew up in a family and they never communicated. You never grew up talking. You come to Keystone Church, you get married, you come into this marriage and you're a horrible communicator. You give God your heart, And you say, God, would you teach me to be a better person? God begins to make you a better communicator as you're humble before him. Your marriage begins to get better to the point that you look at your marriage and you look at where you were raised and you say, my goodness, the Lord has done so much in my life lifting these lids and my marriage is so much better. It's because of the strength of God. Put on your strength. What's your strength? The strength of the Lord. Lift those lids. We all need the power of God. Some of you are so tired You know, honestly, I believe positivity is like the the, the stream, I'm a bass right now, or a trout. It's the stream that God swims in, okay? Now, that doesn't mean we don't recognize pain, suffering, all that, but I believe that God is a forward God. He's not negative, he's not cynical, he's not snarky, and he doesn't look like this, (laughs) okay? I believe God is a forward person. Some of you right now, you're negative, you're snarky, you're cynical because you've been wounded. And you're tired because you've been living in your own strength. You've exhausted all your resources to handle the stuff you're dealing with. And you're tired right now because you're living in your own strength. Now, the, we call it the flesh. The flesh can do a lot, because God made you really good. Like, he made you durable. Like, he made you flexible. He made, it's, you're wonderfully made, the Bible says. But your strength can only take you so far. So what do we need? We need the strength of God. What does that look like? Ephesians 1:19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the mighty working of his strength, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead. So the power that he has given you is the power that he used to raise Christ. He says it again in Romans eight eleven. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You have resurrection power in your life and you are limited by this problem? No. 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 If you're not dead, he's not done. There is power available to you. There is power available to heal your heart and help you. What else does he say? Wear your righteousness. So put on your strength. Wear your righteousness. I think wear your righteousness is almost like a clarification of put on your strength. Wear your, what does he say? He says, put on your beautiful garments. Now, I've got four kids. I have one son, Beck. Beck has inherited his father's voice. Okay, and I inherited, y'all know this, my father's voice, okay? There's nothing we did to earn nor deserve it, all right? It just dropped on us. When Beck was like six years old, you say, hey Beck. you say, hi dad. Well, when Beck was a little guy, when he was a little dude, first of all, he grew up in this church, and he was a runner, y'all. If you were that was one of the workers right there laughing. He was a runner. And, but when he was a little guy, we would do what for all of our kids? We would, I would set out his little guy clothes. I'd put them out for him every single day. And I still do today. No, I don't. <laughs> but you, you, you lay out those little bitty clothes for the little kids, Right? One commentator said of this scripture, when he said this, when he said, put on your beautiful garments, he said, it's as if the text is telling us that God has laid out our clothes for us for the day. Like a loving father, attentive and tender. You know what that means for you? Let me ask you this question. How many of you, don't raise your hand, have a messy closet? How many of you, it's someone else's fault Right? Some of us have messy closets. You got messy lives. And you don't have to go into the closet of your messy life and try to find the robe of God for your life. You don't have to dig through and say, but that doesn't match and dig through and you're combing through the closet and you're trying to find it. God does the work for you. He knows you've got a disaster in there. And he lays out your righteousness. When God begins to talk in the Old Testament or the New Testament about clothes, Jesus told the story about a young man who got his inheritance early, that's a long story, but he wasted it on wild living, okay? Party 24 seven, just insane. In our world, it'd be drugs, women, everything, just wasted it all, and finally he came to a place where he's like, I should go home and just be a slave in my father's house or a servant in my father's house. So he's going back in rags, and you know what the father did? First of all, it was, it was uncommon for him to do this, but he rolled up all of his, his garments and he ran to the son, which patriarchs would never do that. And then what did he say? He said, give my son, he will not be a servant in my house. Give him a ring, and what did they say? Give him a robe. When the Bible talks about wearing your clothes, he's talking about something specific. It is the righteousness of God. You are wearing the righteousness of God. So today, what does this mean? If you want God to do a great thing in your life, you need to remind yourself that God has put the clothes out for you today. You need to not live with condemnation of past sin. I'm gonna say that again because I think somebody right up there didn't hear me. I'm just kidding, I'm not picking on you up there. But you don't need to live with condemnation or thinking God's passed you over because you blew it back in the day. You need to put on those robes every single day and it's the robes of right standing with God. And if God has made you right, that that means God has a right thing for you today. If God has made you right, that means that you're called. That means that God has a purpose for you today. And if you begin to live in the robe of righteousness, you'll stop walking with with the limp of yesterday, with the under that burden, and you'll begin to say, I learned from that, and I've regretted that. I've been healed from that. I'm now healthy, and I know that God sees me as whole. That means that somebody in this room needs to dare to love again. You blew up your marriage, infidelity, whatever it was, addiction, God's healed you. You need to learn to put on the robe today that you're not defined by divorce, and you're not defined by addiction. You're defined by the robe God set out for you today. So today, can we put on the robe, and it fits, like it's tailor-made for you. Put on that righteousness. And that's why he said uncircumcised and unclean, without going too detailed into that, he's talking about the loss. He's saying, no longer do you have to worry about the insecurity that I'm not saved. Put on the righteousness. Nobody that's putting on my robe is lost. So if you put your faith and trust in Christ, and maybe today's the day you would, then you get the robe of righteousness. Then he says, shake yourself from the dust. Shake yourself from the dust. I don't know if it's just me. I don't know if it's some kind of a technological bot that tracks me, but whenever there's a new discovery in Egypt, a new mummy that they found... I'm always it's always in my feed, so I guess I'm always searching mummies, and now they know, and so they just put it up on all the advertisements and everything. But did anybody see? Did anybody see like a couple of months ago where they found a a brand new mummy from 2,500 years ago? Anybody see that? Okay, so we're all on the same bots. Okay, and it's cool. I love it because they'll they've got this mummy and it's been encased for 2,500 years, 3,000 years, and they're cracking it open. It's been closed for 2,500 years and the bodies have been preserved if they were done correctly. And then they crack it and it's like. (sighs) And out of the sands of time comes this person and they begin to learn from the dental records, all that stuff. When he says shake the dust off of you, I believe God's saying shake the dust of death off of you. Shake the dust of death. Off of you. I don't know if you prefer a dead church, but you're not going to find one here. We made a decision. We made a decision that we're not going to be a dead church, that we're shaking the dust off. And what that means is, at times, that means that there are traditions that will form over time that need to be reevaluated because those traditions are starting to sink in to thoughtless religion. And we need to shake the dust off of those traditions. And, and you may even come with some traditions from a previous church, and you say, well, why don't we do it that way or that way? Sometimes the answer is just, we shook the dust off of that a long time ago. And, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but sometimes churches fight. Y'all aren't aware of that? They get bitter, and they bicker, and, and they're often, they, they literally just talk most about the things that matter the least. And, and I've seen churches that fought over a fountain in front of the church. I've seen churches that fought over the carpet. That's why we don't have any carpet in here. We just don't want you fighting over that. It, I heard Joe laugh. Um, it's just funny. It's, 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 it's really not funny. But what you're looking at is death. When a church is spending its time grumbling about things like that, that means they're bored out of their mind. We refuse to be bored around here. We will always have a vision big enough for the totality of your family. That it's so big, we don't have time to think about the carpet, let the building team figure out the carpet. We've gotta reach people for Jesus. And I don't have time to to hold a grudge against somebody that didn't talk to me in the lobby because maybe they were having a bad day. I'm just gonna think about who I'm inviting to come to Keystone next week. Hey, we don't have time for the petty death. And I'm not gonna love a certain style of music or a certain, I'm not gonna love a certain style of music so much that, that when the new music comes out, that I'm like, well, things are really changing around here. They're always changing. It's always changing. New seasons, new life, new, 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 new. Why? Because we're alive. Great families grow. Great families build on the personality and the culture that you have, and that's what we're going to do too. Shake the dust. Shake it off and then loose the bonds. Loose the bonds that bind you. Listen, a church that's gonna do great things for the Lord and if you're gonna experience revival in your life and if you're gonna be one of those people that says, God, do it again, I wanna lovingly remind you that you need to confess and repent of your sin. And what does that mean? That means you can't have one foot and the way the world does things. You know, you follow the influencers and you see what's going on and you're like, man, I love that, I love that, I love that, I love that. But they're pushing it to a place, philosophically, that is anti-God and is not consistent with what God would say for your life. And then keep one foot in the church and you're living this divided heart where when you're around this group of people, you're one way. When you're on this group of people, you're another way and you're living a divided heart and a young generation is watching their mom and dad with a divided heart and they're saying, that's not real, that's not real. I would rather a young generation see me singing off tune to the glory of God with reality in my heart and they'd say, my dad can't carry a tune, he's a horrible singer but I know he loves Jesus I'd rather that than, oh, he can sing so good. He didn't mean it. Oh, he sang in the church quartet. And then when he got home, he was mean as the devil. We've gotta be people that take sin seriously because it bonds you. This is what the Bible says, is whatever you give yourself to, it binds you. It binds you. It binds you. You You give yourself to alcohol, eventually alcoholic, it binds you, right? You give yourself to lust, and then you become creepy. It binds, yeah, just keep it real. By the time you're you're, older in your years, you're just the creepy, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Sin binds to you. Yeah, my filter was gone for that one, wasn't it? (laughs) We gotta rediscover. You ready? We have to rediscover repentance. Now remember, that robe is waiting for you. It's been laid out for you. And you know what that means? That means, here's, here's the way we do it here, okay? We don't shame you and, and, and always remind you and you're in this eternal time out. No, we'll call sin and we'll help you discover the power of confession. Because when you speak it, you're agreeing with God that it's sin. And that's a beautiful thing to agree with God that that was broken, that was sin. I agree, that didn't lead to my flourishing. It felt really good in the moment, but now I have massive heartburn. It it was a lot of fun, I thought, but now I'm living with a three-year headache and hangover. And I agree, God, that was not your way my desires that I was giving myself to, you said that's not your way for marriage. That's not your way for sex. And, but I was giving myself, and I left myself with this hole in my heart. God, I agree with you. That was sin for me to pursue that, to indulge in that. I agree, that's confession. Repentance is, I'm now turning from that. I'm done with that. Now God, I'm in this new place where that was my life. That's the way I had fun. I don't know how to have fun now. But I'm gonna trust you, God, that you're gonna show me how to have fun. I I just have to trust you with that. um, To the Ephesian church in the book of Revelation, chapter two. The Bible says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So this is God talking to a real church. So this would be like God writing to keystone. He says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and that you have not grown weary. So this is a church that takes their Bible seriously, that's open, they're reading it. Um, When something outside of the word of God, some blogger comes along and they be, they're really funny and cute and, but they're saying things and teaching things about the Bible that are not right, it's not squaring up, Ephesians would have called that out. That's not what the Bible says. So they were good like that. Okay, so they had good doctrine. All right, so he's like, okay, you've got good doctrine. I love that your Bibles are open. I love that you're reading it on your own. You don't just wait till Sunday. Okay. Verse four. But... I have this against you. Now, if God says to me, I have this against you, like I'm listening, that means I've blown it somewhere. There's, there's There's a bond around my neck somewhere. You wanna hear the Ephesians bond? You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So let me, let me leave you with some encouragement. You can know the Bible backwards and forwards, but if you have lost a passionate dependence on God that would cry out and say, God, would you do it again? If you've lost that, it matters. It matters. If you've lost that first love, that it's Jesus. If you've lost that, it matters. Could we do something? Could we, in a spirit of prayer, could we stand to our feet? I'm gonna invite the team to come out. The band. And what I wanna do is I wanna have a moment for, for us to really just dwell on what, what we believe God is saying to you. If you'll listen to the Lord right now, and we all listen to the Lord, then God will do something with us that will be different on the other side. So if you would be open to it, just bow your heads, close your eyes, open your heart. Perhaps you'd wanna take a posture of a hand out in front of you where you're saying, God, my hands are open, I'm listening. I'm ready to receive what you have. Perhaps you wanna take a posture of dropping to your knees and you say, I'm inspired by that story about Billy Graham. But I believe God wants to build you up today. So can we just have a moment where you would say, God, would you show me what I need to see? Just talk to him. I've lost my passion, or I've, I'm filled with condemnation, or I've slipped into dead religion, just going through the motions, but there's no power, or I'm walking in my own strength. If you're willing to talk to God right now, building will begin. Building will begin. Yeah, I hear people talking I hear people praying. Just talk to them. Spirit of God, would you move in this place? Spirit of God, would you have your way? Holy Spirit of God, would you move mightily among us? God, would you do it again?